everyone. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 583 being recorded Wednesday. Yes, a Wednesday, believe it or not, April 22nd, 2020. I'm Jim Tannis. Retro. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrus. I'm Sebastian Peake. I'm that old guy, Brett Van Spruenberg. Yes, uh, all, yes, as he has been labeled by the YouTube chat, the old guy in the upper right corner. Uh, of course, I also saw that somebody said that uh, the youngest of us all was that handsome fellow in the lower right there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't need to worry about giving himself haircuts during the quarantine. No, no. <clears throat> well, yeah. no, wait. Yeah, I do. I, I give myself haircuts. Got a razor. Uh, well, oh, sure, sure. That's You're a little more, more a, practiced at us than most. Yes, that's true. I, I have been doing this for about 23 years. Well, that's a, a lot of money saved on haircuts. In, in the new normal, razors. as they say, it's a skill to have, a skill in demand. But uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. We're glad you could uh, join us. Uh, like I said, uh, we do record these. We used to record pretty consistently on a Wednesday, but now that we're all remote, it's sometimes it's hard to... To do that, usually my fault. But if we don't do it on a Wednesday, we're, we're almost slight, certainly going to have it for you on that next day on Thursday. Uh, so once a week, you can look forward to something from us. And if you'd like to join us as we record these live, because uh, we do, we stream out to YouTube and Twitch. And uh, you can join us uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern time is when we usually do it, uh, regardless of day. And if you want to know when we're about to go live, you can head over to pcpro.com slash subscribe and join our mailing list there. It's uh, just, we don't use it for marketing or anything. It's just a uh, simple email I send out an hour or two before we're about to go live. Or also I send it if we're, if we're not going to have a show, if something's delayed or postponed or canceled or whatever, uh, let you know there as well. And of course, you can also uh, support us here at PCPer. We've got the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash PCPer. And uh, we really appreciate everyone who contributes there. And uh, as I said, uh, I've received a number of messages because of the current world crisis and economic situation people have had to you know cancel their their uh, subscription or their their support and uh, com- we completely understand uh, i've received some very nice emails uh, people feeling like they have to explain it's not necessary uh, we uh, as i said we're, you know, we're we're nothing here we're just hoping to be some entertainment for you and you have to take care of yourselves and your families first and and so no explanation necessary we appreciate it if you can but uh, don't you know don't beat yourself up over it we understand it's it's tough out there uh, so, uh, but if you do want to become a patron and you uh, become a new patron or up your pledge, uh, you can always send us a message. You can either change your name field or send us a message through the Patreon system after the fact, and I'll read uh, whatever you send us. And that can usually be funny uh, or embarrassing, however you'd like to play it. Uh, but let's get into the news this week. Uh, first, we if you listened to last week's show, you know we talked about the uh, the new Nooks, uh, the new interesting form factor Nooks from... Uh, from Intel, and Sebastian had a review for us last week that wasn't. Uh, we, we we talked about it during the show, but the review he hadn't really finished all the testing yet. Uh, and I know he went into some detail here. He got, he's got a, a, the full review is now up at the site. It's got a lot of tests, a lot of thoughts uh, from Sebastian about this very interesting, uh, unusual product that Intel's put together for us here. Uh, so, Sebastian, what o- what other points did you want to make or reiterate uh, following last week's uh, teaser? Well. When we talked last, it was 4,000 words sitting in a Word document and a bunch of photos and a lot of incomplete testing. So I didn't really have the full picture yet. And 
I kind of expected to find some weaknesses. I hadn't done any thermal testing yet. I was a little worried about that. Obviously, the form factor is very small. And for the power that this thing has, as far as its actual CPU compute power, and we were using the the most powerful GPU you can cram into this. So that's something that was surprising. When I actually finished testing, I found better than expected CPU performance. I didn't do a lot of uh, logging. I did just enough to present a little graph in the review to show what sustained CPU frequencies were like all core. That was during just a run of Cinebench R20, because of course you start running Cinebench R20 and you're stressing the cores pretty much to 100% consistently. And I wanted to see where the where it started throttling the CPU back. But I think of throttling as lower than expected speeds. And this is a mobile part. We're talking about the i9-9980HK. It has a nominal speed of 2.4 gigahertz, and it can boost all the way up to 5 gigahertz if it has the headroom, thermal headroom power. Just so for very like typical desktop usage, you're very frequently boosting all the way up to around 5 gigahertz, 4.8, somewhere in there, opening up a browser window, you know, using your computer the way you normally would. You're usually getting a lot closer to that, that threshold, the 5 gigahertz number. But all cores being stressed, you do find the limits of that 45 watt TDP, even though it does, of course, consume more than that beyond 2.4 gigahertz. And what I found was in Cinebench, after about 15 seconds, it would drop down to about 3.2 gigahertz all core, but it stayed there and it would stay there throughout the duration of the test. So given the excellent thermals that this thing actually has between the active cooling on the compute element itself, which is a small laptop blower style fan and the two 80 millimeter fans on the top, which are drawing warm air up from the compute element and the, the graphics card that's installed. If you have one, then it, it, it just, it seems to be able to sustain those clocks a lot longer than I would have expected in something this small. And to give you an idea of how small this is, I don't have one. I see one I can grab. Imagine a mini ITX motherboard box. If you've ever bought a mini ITX motherboard, the box that it comes in is roughly the same size as this. So it's it's a very small unit. And I, I a saw quarter some of a red box. Yeah, it's and I've seen comments saying, oh, you can build a better mini ITX system than that, et cetera. And the price, as we talked about last week, that's going to be a huge barrier to entry here. It's expensive. You're paying for the compute unit. You're paying for this modular computer on a PCI Express card. And that on its own, the listing that I've seen at B&H Photo that you can you can pre-order the compute element, it's thirteen ninety nine. So I mean, most of the sixteen hundred dollar cost of this Nook Nine Extreme kit is that thirteen fourteen hundred dollar compute element. But what's interesting about the compute element is you're getting literally an entire computer. It's and I went through the the components on the board. And identified as many of the chips as I could. Some of them I was familiar with. Some of them I had to look up. And I linked to any data sheets I could find on any of these chips in the review in the teardown section. And it was it's high end stuff. It's it's a a newer Thunderbolt controller, and it's a you know perfectly high quality uh, audio codec from uh, like Realtek. I believe it's like a ALC two fifty six. You've got 
dual M.2 slots, both of which can accommodate the longer 110 millimeter uh, NVMe drives, such as the uh, Intel drive that we received with the review unit. But it the connectivity is is excellent. You've got Thunderbolt 3, USB 3.1. You have regular and Type C connections on the board. You've got very good quality uh, wired LAN. You have dual Intel Gigabit NICs. And that top end, at least ninth generation top end CPU. And we mentioned that last week too. Like this is ninth gen. It would have been nice to see 10th gen, but considering what they were going for with this, if you compare 10th gen to this, like the difference would be rather marginal. Like for example, the 10th generation mobile parts in this category, like the H series are going to offer slightly higher boost clocks. However, you can adjust performance in the setup in this. In the UEFI setup, there's performance adjustments and there's cooling adjustments. And one of the one of the advantages of 10th generation over 9th is slightly higher memory speeds supported. But the I mean, I was able to go in and actually change XMP settings and the memory that came with this, if you're willing to spend money for 3200 DDR4 laptop memory, you can absolutely run it at that speed without any problem. So even though I did my testing at 2666, because that's the default supported speed for this CPU, it'll easily run 3200. So you can kind of create your own 10th gen is what I'm saying. It's based on the same architecture. Some of the improvements that that they uh, brought to the 10th gen, since it's it's very similar, you know, it's it's like a slight speed bump to this. And the platform, I'm not sure what changes we would have seen with the platform because there's already, you know, Intel Wi-Fi 6 included with this, et cetera. So, uh, but in general, my kind of my thoughts about this were basically that the boost behavior was a little bit better than I thought it was going to be because there's better thermals than I expected. And the noise levels overall were great. I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but what would happen is... And this is something that uh, Steve at Gamers Nexus pointed out in his video review, which is very in-depth. It's very good. Uh, he talked about the inconsistency of the noise. It's that sort of cardinal sin. If you're trying to make something as unobtrusive as possible, it's always better to have a consistent sound than it is to have an uneven sound. And instead of being a consistent, like, 36 decibels or something, it was barely audible at idle in the low 30s. Then it would spike up to about, I, I measured consistently 40.6 dBA on my uh, sound pressure meter, but only for a moment. So it would hit 40, 40.6, and then drop down to 33.5 to 34.5. And it would stay there until the next little spiky burst. And I saw there was a little bit of granularity with thermal controls in the setup, but it was already set to a 2% per degree increase. So I'll have to go back and update the article if setting that to a, a wider percentage or a smaller percentage makes any difference at all. But uh, this is something that maybe is a firmware update away. It's just, it's fan behavior. And, and I would like to see a, a much longer period before the fan starts to to speed up. Like if you're just going to be doing something for a split second, like opening up a browser window, you really don't need to start 
pushing the fan to its highest RPMs and then lowering it back down again. Like the Cinebench runs were a perfect example of this. It did a, f- a phenomenal job of keeping the system cool, even with all core runs like that or the extended X264 benchmark I ran on it. But it wouldn't settle to about 34 and a half decibels until it had been running for a minute or two. So we'll, we'll have to see if that is something that they can address. But other than that, I mean, it's the big sticking point with this has to be the price. I'm sure you guys would agree that $1,639 for a mobile core i9 part. And it's, it's a full motherboard and it has everything on it, except you do have to bring your own Ram and storage to the table. And that price does not include a discrete GPU if you want to add one, which in this case was another $420 just because they went with the, the highest end model available. That's, that's a lot of nuts. Yeah. Not to quote one of my favorite films of all time. (laughs) There's no way I could justify that as a media server to myself. It's just, it's far more than that. It's, you know, I need, I I live in a very tiny apartment and I need a, like a single room and I need a a full size machines power, but I can't do it. Yeah. If I had the budget, all right, 1600 bucks, uh, call it another four or 500, uh, to add in a GPU of, you know, reasonable quality and a bit of storage and it's, it's two grand. I mean, sure. You you can't build it yourself. I'm sorry. Not without you know, a full set of tools and somehow to source that uh, chip on a board. So I, I see it, but I look at it and I go, wow, it just, if you'd found something that was about, you know, half the power, half the price, three quarters of the price, maybe. So who's this for? It's a, I mean, it's, it's an interesting concept. I think one of our viewers last week asked, are we ever going to see another one of these? And I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to sell particularly well. Uh, it's interesting to see Intel a, a tackling a, a, just a new form factor, a new a new theory behind how something like this should go together. But yeah, I mean, it, and my my point last week too was, yeah, you're right. You couldn't build an ITX system this small, but you can get. I mean, it, it's too big. The, the original Nooks, those tiny little ones, those were great because yeah. you can you can mount them to the back of a display. Or you can, uh, you know, stick them under the desk or mount them under. I mean, they're they're really easy to hide, and they make great for you know simple desktops or media centers or whatever. This is is too big to do that. So you're going to have a box on your desk, mm. and if if you go just a little bit bigger, then you are into ITX sizes. And at that case, in that case, then you have all the flexibility, and you're you're saving money uh, based on part selection and everything. So I, I just don't, you know, as Brett said, I don't know who. I don't know who this is for. <laughs> you you, you got to think that, that Francois is rolling around in his GTR. <laughs> Perhaps. Sure. Come on. He was, he was a skull trail guy. And, and then they, they, yep. they, they did that for a high performance, that, that whole, that whole skull head thing. And, mm-hmm. and oh, now gotcha. you get a, an I nine that runs at 2.4 gigahertz. And not, what, a, what, a, what did you say the boost was? It has a right. single, it's five gigahertz single core boost. Oh, okay. I mean, it's okay. impressive. I mean, it's, it's the performance characteristics of that platform, which are impressive mm-hmm. for a 45 watt, well, 45 watt base TDP mobile platform, but it's not, you could put a desktop system 
or desktop chip in your mini ITX build and get even more performance. Yep. Uh, some a few folks here in the chat were saying, you know, how do how would this compare to like these these new forty nine hundred uh, H AMD Ryzen systems? Uh, and they'd compare. You're, just, how... you're not. You're just not ever going to find one of those in a mini PC. How many years have we been talking about? Well, I mean, if we got one of these, like an Intel Nook, I want a Ryzen Nook. I want a Ryzen APU yeah. mini PC. Yeah. And then randomly one or two will show up over time. Actually so have tech, one. They have yeah, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. They would have one, but you couldn't find it anywhere for sale. Uh, ECS has at least one Leva that's AMD powered. I have one here. It's the SF110-A320. But again, those are small form factor systems. They're smaller than this, and they're hampered by the limitation of a 35-watt TDP APU, which is going to be very good for just basic everyday computing, but so is a Nook. Like a, it's, yeah. This is an, a new form factor, and it's a new concept. So the, answer, the question always becomes, who is this for? Who does this serve? Because for some reason, there's this perception that if it's not four by four inches and an inch and a half tall... It's too big for a living room. It's too big for anything. And then you might as oh, well they just put a out. box out there. They should have called it an Ultra Nook. Nook Speaking Pro? Of Intel form factors that didn't make any sense and caught on. Yeah. I, it's the new Ultra Book. If, well, if this is serving an enthusiast community, it's it's interesting. And it's the I think the problem is the people who seem the most... Uh, enthusiastic about really small form factor. It's it's like an exercise. It's a hobbyist thing. So it's how small can I build an ITX system? And if here's a company that's coming out with the the full solution, like we've already chosen the form factor for you, we've chosen the modular approach to the CPU for you, and we've chosen uh, you know, the chassis design and size and orientation because there's only one orientation for this chassis. That's something I saw complaining about too which is valid. I mean, you cannot lay this on its side it, unless you were to fashion some sort of feet for it. It needs to be able to breathe from both mesh side panels. So it's designed to be standing up on its on its base like this. So that, that does complicate placement, especially in a living room. So if you don't have some available space up top on a cabinet or beneath your TV, for example, then it wouldn't make as much sense in the living room as like a, a system you could stack with a console, but the reality of any computer in your living room that has any kind of significant horsepower in it is that it's going to need some breathing space around it anyway, especially if you're throwing a desktop class GPU into it. So I don't think of this as a mini PC. This is to me like a proof of concept of a almost blade server like approach to computing that probably doesn't make sense for a consumer product It's probably too expensive to be a successful consumer product. And then in the face of, how good and how cheap, relatively, desktop parts are with more horsepower than this, from a just from an economical standpoint, it doesn't make any sense either. I, I think it's cool. And when you actually go hands-on with it and you see how compact this is, I've built many ICX systems before, and I've tried building really small ones. I've had the privilege of being able to build inside the NCase M1. It was one of my first reviews for this website. And then I also got to build in the Dan Cases A4. And that was fantastic. Pretty much the same concept is in here as in the DAN cases where you sandwich like motherboard CPU with GPU to maximize space. And 
like I said, if you were to compare this to a motherboard box, there's about an inch in height differentiating these two, but they're a very similar width and depth, or maybe like a half inch apart, maybe not even. So it's, it's very close to the size of the box that your mini ITX motherboard came in. So if, if you're dreaming of that ultra, ultra small system that could unobtrusively sit on the back corner of a desk, this is absolutely that. I have tried on a small setup I've kept in my dining room for years now uh, to have a small desktop of some kind. And for a long time, it was a Skull Trail Nook or Skull no. Canyon, whichever one that is, the one with the this, this sixth gen Core i7 in it. But I was it was always frustrating not to have a discrete GPU in that. Every time I would move up from that, I'd be going into a much larger mini ITX box so I could put a desktop GPU into it. And I never spent the money on a DAN cases. I've tried different things. Like, oh, it was earlier, it was last year, actually, I did that uh, console-sized case review. I can't remember the name of it right now. And it was about as small as you can build and actually have a full-size GPU in it. And I put a 2080 or 2080 Ti or something insane in there just for fun, for the review. I put a 9900K in it, but the thermals were obnoxious and it was very loud because the fans were spinning for all they were worth. I had a CPU fan going 3000 RPMs just to try to keep from overheating. Oh, there it is. The Century 2.0. And it, it, it was a very well-realized case, but... Another example of, uh, for best results, you probably had to have it in a vertical orientation. It came with a stand, and that would allow it to breathe a little bit better. It was possible to use it either way, but that was considerably larger than this. It wasn't as tall, but the footprint of it was much bigger because you were kind of placing everything on the same plane. You had the motherboard in one compartment and the graphics card in another compartment, and you had your storage kind of all around, and you had to use a big chunk of it for your SFX PSU and you had to make a decision between either a liquid cooler for your CPU or a full-size GPU. There was not room for both. So I, I just find it interesting that there's, it seems to be multiple camps about small form factor. One camp is it has to be as small as possible, but still have desktop components. Some people are just looking for a mini PC, maybe a pre-made solution like Zotac or Intel or somebody like that. And then there's the fanless community, which is a totally different animal entirely, where it seems like they will take something like a run-of-the-mill mini PC and fashion some case that's 10 times larger. And then because it's fanless, somehow this is worth all of the time and expense and additional space on your desk. <laughs> so, and that sounds really snarky. I, I personally think that almost every one of these systems would be better realized if it had at least one very low speed fan. And that's why I liked design choices Intel made like the two 80 millimeter fans up top that spin very slowly. Like that's a good idea. You slowly draw warm air up the top, but you know, it, it's, it's not perfect. I wish this was something that they sold for like 200 bucks and you'd get the enclosure and then you go out and pick one of their compute cards. And I, and they do absolutely have cheaper compute elements but it's, I feel like it's too much of a stretch to say you're limited to high-end laptop performance, but you're paying 
full desktop prices for it. And I think that's where people are going to have a big issue with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, getting a full-size gaming system would get you a high-end Ryzen. I mean, not the highest, but you know, a 3600X yeah. and a 2080 you know, RTX with an NVMe drive and 16 or 32 gigs of memory, depending on how it all should, you know, comes out. And that's that's the entire system. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get a R9 3900X or a 3950X, but, yeah, you're still going to get pretty close to that performance for a lot cheaper. Yeah. Because you're not even counting memory, drive, and graphics card no so easily another 500 yeah uh yeah and yeah, i mean also if we look at intel's i was going low ball josh because you oh, can spend wow. 1200 on the graphics card alone if you wanted yeah yeah. yeah and by volume from a case perspective don't forget the power supply you didn't mention that that's i don't know it, did they have that in the basement of the nook i don't, don't remember is that an internal yep, it is it's a it, it yeah, was actually just announced from FSP, mm. and it's a very compact 500 watt model, and so this is but actually it resembles like a Cisco uh, power supply yeah. or something. Yep, it, it resembles it's one a... of the slide-in uh, server power supplies that I've exactly, seen in One right? U units. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just a slightly shorter version of that. It has a form factor. I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but yes, it's a, basically a server power supply. It has a 40 millimeter fan. When I was running benchmarks for extended periods of time. I did finally hear it. It's not very loud, but it has a higher pitched tone because it's 40 millimeters. So Can't that's another thing FLX. to consider. Yeah. Oh, is it? It's a weird flex, but it's okay. Yeah. Well, I had to throw Kent's name in there because I think that's a, I think it's a being called out as a game. So you're welcome. <laughs> Are they, they drinking in but the yeah. chat? Yeah. Every time <laughs> well, we know, mention Jim. one of the uh, departed Tesla crowd. Mm. <laughs> How how different it will be to talk about this next topic because we're talking about like uh, what is essentially too expensive and you know questionable cost performance benefit and small form factor et cetera and then this we're talk announcement well yeah. maybe this this new announcement is a surprising uh, extension of the Ryzen family uh, Sebastian uh, had the you talked with AMD on this and uh, wrote up the story so. Uh, as you say, Zen 2 goes mainstream. I mean, I, I would argue it was m- mostly mainstream already, but uh, uh, they've extended the the lower end, the more affordable end of the family with two new processors. Uh, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, this is just rounding out the product stack. Ryzen 3000 obviously has been a huge success, and they've they started off with the high end. So we had 5, 7, and 9, and I think 5 came a little bit later. What was seeded out to... Uh, reviewers initially for that 7.7 launch last year, the July 7 launch was the the Ryzen 7 and Ryzen 9. And the very high end, of course, came later with the the 3950X, the 16 core. And since then, we've seen prices stabilize, we've seen availability get considerably better. And now it's not, can I find, say, a Ryzen 9 3900X in stock for $499? It's well, this place has it on sale for four thirty nine, but I think some place last week had it on sale for like four twenty five, and it's extremely easy to get, and that's become a sort of go to high end enthusiast part, and it's only it's less than five hundred dollars, depending on, you know, Amazon price fluctuation, 
So that's been a tremendous win for them, obviously. And then they have that flagship part, the 3950X, which has better availability than I ever thought it was going to. Because if you understand the nature of the chiplet design, for that product to even exist, they have to have four chiplets, all of which have all four cores enabled. And it has to be able to clock higher than any two, of the two other chiplets. Oh, that's right. They're eight. Well, each. three. I'm thinking of the IO. servers. I'm thinking of Threadripper. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So both have to have all eight cores and all eight have to be able to run at 4.7, which is the highest boost in the whole lineup. So what's and, – and pricing has gotten better. Like, Josh, what, what is the Ryzen 5 3600 selling for these days? It's not 200. It's 190 to 199. Usually it's on sale. Is it, is it still? Okay. Uh, I've, I swear I've seen it for as little as 160. That might have been like a, a holiday yeah, sale. I think that was the uh, – that was a 3600 – Got to that yeah, low. The that's what I'm talking about. Yep. So the 3600X is yeah. still around 200, which is $50 below SMR, MSRP. Yeah. And then the 3600 can sells routinely for $30 or $40 below. But even right. so, they didn't have that $100 CPU. And for that, we were talking about, you know, earlier, well, it wasn't earlier this year, maybe it was late last year, whenever it was that the 1600 AF came to light. And that was obviously a product that was. It was a last generation product. It's actually two generations old. However, it sort of quietly moved off. No, it was, of it was a last generation product, but they they just they just marketed it as a sixteen hundred rather than a twenty six hundred. Yeah, so it's, it it's literally a twenty six hundred that's like a hundred megahertz slower, right? Yeah, yeah, and they sell it for ninety nine dollars or ninety dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And now Very popular. you don't have to get, you don't have to look for that AF on the box for a 1600, even though that is a six core part. So there's still a place for it, but they've announced two quad core, uh, SMT parts. These are both eight thread four core parts, the Ryzen three 3300 X and 3100. The difference between these two is clock speeds. They're both unlocked. One of them is 3.8 gigahertz base 4.3 boost. That's the 3300 X. And the 3100 is 3.6 gigahertz base and only 3.9 gigahertz boost. They have the same 16 meg level three cache. Both have two megs of level two. They support the same. I mean, it's, it's going to be all the same as the rest of this Ryzen 3000 family. DDR4 3200 support. These are 65 watts a piece. Um, I'm sure we'll see lower wattage variants of these at some point or configurable depending on what the system integrator needs, but. They're both listed as 65 watts. Pricing is, of course, outstanding because the 3100 is 99 bucks. So they get that $100 price point in the Zen 2 family for the first time. And then they're they're only charging a $20 um, premium, as I remember words, for the 3300X. So to get 400 megahertz faster speeds out of the box, 20 bucks. So that's going to be $120. And they're coming May 21st is what they say. But there's more. Well, you got to have a new what? chipset to put these low-cost processors in. You better believe it. I mean, not One that you couldn't put these in. Thing. Yeah. I will assuredly be putting one of these things in like a, you know, X570 board. But they did announce a new chipset, the B550 chipset, which they didn't say a lot about it in their press release. But it is a mainstream chipset. So we, we 
the word mainstream tends to be used in marketing instead of budget, but just, just replace the word mainstream with budget as you read this. And you're going to see cheap B550 motherboards. And what is the one thing that B450 couldn't give you if you were running Ryzen 3000 in a low cost setup, Josh? A massage. Well, True. A wax job? You're thinking a different interface, aren't you, Sebastian? I, I was. And for some reason, I was thinking that we have this vocal proponent of PCI Express 4.0 in our midst oh, who's playing coy well. right now. Ooh. So for the first yeah, time. Uh, even though, in, in theory, <laughs> B450 boards would have been able to support PCI 4.0. Mm-hmm. Now we, we finally have official support, but it is limited between pretty much the chip, the, the CPU, the graphics card, and the M.2 slot. Uh, B550, all it still connects to the CPU via 4 by PCIe 3.0 lanes. Uh, and so all of the lanes coming off of that, um, as far as I know, are PCIe 3.0. So any extra M.2, which there may be some, uh, won't have the PCIe 4.0, but you'll still have at least graphics and one kind of, I guess they call them ultra M.2 ports. And uh, yeah, so finally, official support up and down the line. And these are probably going to start 90 to 100 bucks, depending on the model. And, um, you know, X570s usually bottom out around 150 to 140 so there'll be a little bit overlap but not much uh but it really does extend the ryzen 3000 series and PCIe 4.0 down to that a hundred dollar motherboard cost mark which is big for amd because a lot of the customers are you know they're cheap like me well, uh, no, but they also have the, all the Intel converts now, all the high-end enthusiast converts. So they're hitting all segments of the pricing market. Yeah, it, look at their naming convention. There's no secret here that AMD modeled their Ryzen processors from the beginning after Intel because Intel had the mm-hmm. Core i3, Core i5, Core i7, and then later the Core i9. And we have Ryzen 3, Ryzen 5, Ryzen 7, and Ryzen 9 to compete head-to-head every step of the way and they've pushed the envelope on core count. And I cannot remember if the last announced or currently available Core i3 parts are hyper-threaded again. Didn't they bring that back? They did, so, yeah. Their their response yeah. to getting spanked was reintroducing the multi-threading pretty much across the board. The feature on all their other chips. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... It's great. It's This is four cores and eight threads. Think about it. Josh, you were talking to me about this the other day. You were running up until recently. What processor in your... 7700K. You know, the yeah. i7-7700K. I mean, that was yeah. one of the more popular Intel CPUs in, in quite a few years because it was, you know, a good balance of of Intel pricing, which was, what, 330 to 360 bucks, depending on when you got it. And you had four fast cores, and you had multi-threading, and uh, game performance and everything else seemed to do perfectly fine. So, I mean, the 7700K sold very, very well and uh, very popular. And these ones, uh, the the R3 3300X looks to be 
very, very similar in performance, but you're paying one third the price. Plus you get and, PCIe 4.0. Yeah. And I can't imagine that it will be anywhere near as hot. Cause I, I specifically bought a 7,700 K. I think I got mine on a deal for like 309 when I was doing a lot of cooler testing for the site. And so for a long time, every cooler test that I did for PC perspective was on a 7,700 K because it was so hot and it would be pushing anything but the largest coolers to like 90 degrees under load. Mm-hmm. And it's, I actually spun that same CPU up again for a folding at home uh, system today. I was just like, oh yeah, it's 86 degrees right now, even with a giant be quiet cooler on it. So to, to have that level of performance, I would assume, and we haven't seen the chips yet. We haven't done our own benchmarking, but it on paper, it's going to be kind of similar to like a 6,700 K or 7,700 K because of the clock speeds and the, the core and thread count. And that's just kind of, it's astonishing because the 7,700 K Cabby Lake was not that long ago. We're talking about, I think I bought that CPU in 2017. It's been yeah, like three, three years. years yeah. And then all of a sudden 120 bucks. And yeah. And more efficient. And, and more Intel, for Intel yeah. pricing for an enthusiast class ship, 360 at the time was pretty good because they had stuff that went all the way up to and beyond a thousand bucks. And so people were thinking, Hey, I've got this four core eight thread chip. That's pretty fast in everything that I do. And it's only, it's only 360 bucks. And yeah, three years later, it's, one third of the cost and, and uh, probably half the actual TDP. And I'm talking actual TDP, not, not like you said, it's, it's a SDP. warm, yeah. warm chip. And and this is interesting too, because one of the things, and we'll talk about this a little later on is that Intel is still pushing is their gaming uh, advantage, what they market as a gaming advantage. And it's true that you can create situations where Intel parts outperform their rising counterparts mm-hmm. in gaming as we'll, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, but uh, this is now, you know, the focus from Intel has been on the higher end because of the, the Ryzen 7s and 9s being so versatile, good gaming performance and productivity with the core advantage. Now you're looking at this Core i3, maybe low end of Core i5 competitive price range, and if these game well and are as efficient as we expect them to be based on their their cousins and the rest of the lineup, that's another area where Intel is going to be very threatened and certainly going to have to lower pricing again. Uh, Cause that's, that's, you, you could argue when Intel does their, their marketing is you can buy an I3 and even an I or an I5 and, and game on a budget system at acceptable rates. But here you go. Now, now you can go with Ryzen, save some power. And, uh, and as, as Sebastian said, we got to test these, but we'll, we'll see how they perform uh, in the real world to borrow a phrase from team blue. <laughs> yeah i just i i look at stuff like this and the low cost i think about the the old like slot one celeron era i wish that the really really cheap parts were also the ones that were known to be great overclockers and we could all just go out and buy a 3100 and see how high we could push it but well we've all seen a proper celeron point. out again yeah well the pentium came back so maybe the celeron will come back too well, it does occasionally, but it's like an Atom or one of the various Bay Trail yeah. type versions. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure you can buy a very low cost laptop with a 
quote unquote seller on it right now, like a quad core Atom. Yeah, flip maybe. Don't you think it's a good box? They're at Walmart. Uh, you know, don't you think it's interesting that we still refer to a part that was released 22 years ago and nothing has really surpassed it in terms of its capabilities and its price and what it just kind of brought to the to the table. Uh, I mean, Celeron that 50% overclock. Yeah, yeah, he can run it at 450 and it outperformed a Pentium 3 450. Oh, for Celeron prices. Yeah, we haven't, we have, we have not seen it's like, again, some things may have gotten a little close, but yeah, the, the, the kind of the structured, um, you know, feature performance and, and limitations have all been in place by Intel that you couldn't, you couldn't have another 300A. It's very sad. Very sad. Only problem was it sucked on multi threaded stuff. Well, it was a single oh. core. So. <laughs> yeah. As all stuff hey, it maximized, it provided down. 100% CPU utilization for every core. Yeah. It's it true. The, the no, core, it scaled the, extremely well across yeah, the core, core. affinity was out of this world. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. believe the ping times between its cores were yeah. non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> zero. Right. Only so, goes to core zero? Ah, no problem. <laughs> So that's the uh, the Ryzen 3 3300X and Ryzen 3 3100. No X on that one. Uh, they're slated for uh, launch, according to AMD, May 21st. And then that B450 chipset will be out in June. You'll see those motherboards. So uh, great. We'll keep an eye on that. And we'll see uh, if we can get some stuff into test and uh, let's see how this performs and see what Intel has to say about this as well. Uh, let's talk about NVIDIA now, though. They had an interesting release in the last week. I, I don't recall exactly what day they announced it, but they uh, they came out and announced uh, something uh, I wasn't expecting. I don't think anyone was really expecting, but it's called NVIDIA RTX Voice. And now, of course, when, when uh, Jensen and those NVIDIA guys were trying to sell us an RTX and all this machine learning and AI stuff on the on on this on your consumer graphics card. You know, they they would they did say things like, you know, this is more than gaming. This is new ways of doing things and leveraging this. It just power. works. Uh, sure, yeah. And one, and we're going to see one of those examples here is is this little utility you can download called RTX Voice. And how it works is that it it creates a virtual audio interface, and you you have to have the latest drivers, and officially you have to have an RTX card, and then and the latest oh, version sure. of Windows Windows Ten. So you you. Install this little app, uh, this little utility. We'll have a link uh, if you're interested in the show notes. And then you assign your audio input and output devices if you want. You can use one or the other or both. And then it creates an RTX audio virtual interface that you then pass to your program, whether it's your your speakers or your, uh, your Discord or Skype or whatever. It, it, from what we so can you're see, it, saying that I should use this? Well, I was thinking when we... In, when uh, when they announced this, this is something we should, probably should look into, because the whole point is it then uses machine learning and it uses those those tensor cores and all that that uh, computational power to analyze your audio signal and remove everything that's not your voice, and it works, believe it or not, remarkably well. And there's a lot of videos on YouTube. Epos uh, uh, Fox, who's a, a sort of a content creator focused YouTuber, had a video uh, demoing it. Uh, Barnacle's uh, Barnacle's Nerdgasm. Is that uh, the YouTuber who used to work for Microsoft? He, he uh, had a video demoing it, 
And in, in his video, he had a fan right on his mic and he was banging a hammer. And then he, and so you're, you're listening to that over his voice and then he turned it on and it just went away and it doesn't change your voice. Cause there's another solution we'll talk about here in a minute, a, a software solution uh, that's relatively new, but people are saying that if the ambient noise gets too, too poor or too loud, it, it really does uh, mess up how your voice sounds, but this supposedly doesn't. And uh, I've only had a chance to test it out a little bit and it's uh, it, it is from what I can tell working uh, very well. And then the beauty though, of the input and output is that if like you're on one of these zoom calls that we all have to be on nowadays with 30 people on your team and somebody doesn't realize their mic's on and their dog's barking or the vacuum's going or the kids come home and throw their stuff on the ground and start yelling, you turn it on on your output and then you don't have to hear it because it'll analyze the audio coming to you and then clean that all up for you so that what you hear is pristine. And so not just for your comfort, but if, if you're doing something like this, I could have, we don't have it set up this way. It's all software here, but if I had a physical mixer that could bring an, a line in from you guys, you wouldn't need to run this. I could theoretically run this, clean up your audio on, on my end before it goes into the stream. So there's a lot of applications here. It's free. It's exciting. It's in beta. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's, the best I've ever seen of this kind of solution. So check it out. Now, as I said, NVIDIA says you have to have an RTX card. It's it's in the name, <laughs> RTX Voice. But very, very quickly, uh, people discovered, this is a form post over at Guru3D, that if you just change a little uh, file in the installer, it seems to work just fine on earlier generation, non-RTX non cards. There is a limit, I think, I saw somebody got down to the 5 Series, like the GTX 580, and it didn't work there. But 7 Series, 10 Series, it seems to be working just fine. Uh, I guess the trick is you have to try to install it first if you don't have an RTX card, and it'll fail the install saying you don't have, you don't meet the requirements. Then it creates this uh, temp directory, and you go in there and uh, add this little code or, or remove this this constraints. Or you remove uh, that. Yeah. yeah. And save it, and then it'll run it again, and... What do you know? Apparently, it doesn't need tensor cores, uh, or maybe there's well, tensor cores hiding under cards somewhere that Nvidia never told us. Obviously, about. even <laughs> officially, Nvidia supports RTX features on non-RTX cards. Last yep. year, they enabled that because you have programmable shaders. You can tell them to do what you need them to do. So it, it kind of makes sense you to be able to uh, have this working on Pascal. But there's going to be a performance hit because there's going to be a certain amount of your GPU overhead being taken up by RTX voice. I don't know what that is. So well, if you're doing, if you're streaming regardless, yeah. uh, even on RTX, people are noticing, which is interesting because it yeah, shouldn't be. Yeah. You'd think right? it would just be the RT cores. Right. And, but people have noticed there is a performance hit and it's, it varies significantly. It, it's as little as 3%. It's as high as I, I think I saw, if you have it on both the input and output, it can be up to 15%. Mm. Uh, that's not insignificant. It depends no. on what you're doing. Uh, but, that that is the state of things now. And again, it is a beta. It's the first release. So we'll see if that gets cleaned up a little bit, but there is a performance hit even on RTX cards, which is again, surprising considering how this is marketed. You really shouldn't be seeing that unless you're also running up game that is utilizing those RT cores. So we'll have to look at that. When we do some testing, it will have to look at what the performance Delta is between forcing it to run on like a GTX 1060 and then running it on an RTX 2060 and yeah. see if 
Yeah, it works on the 1060, but it's at like 60% utilization versus 15% hit on the 2060, for example. Yeah. And really, this isn't for streamers, although it would work very well for that. But it's think about the the state of things right now where it's just kind of commonplace now to have these big group chats where it, people are finally experiencing what those of us who've worked remotely for a long time know, which is you go into a web meeting and somebody invariably does not mute their phone or microphone or whatever they have. And you hear kids or animals or who knows what. And it's, it, it would be, Amazing if something that worked effectively like this was in use by like every one of these services. Like if I logged into a WebEx meeting or had a Microsoft Teams call or something, it was just integrated into the software. This is early days and it's cool that it exists. So it's like you were saying, Jim, like this is one of those exciting applications. It doesn't sound like a lot to a gamer, probably like what AI voice, who cares? Maybe it wouldn't have, but the timing of this is perfect because maybe they were working on this behind the scenes. They're like, you know what? What better time to give this to people than now mm-hmm. if you're on sense. a Zoom call with somebody and want a, mm-hmm. a nice silent background for yourself? Like, rem- remember VR Works Audio uh, when NVIDIA was actually working on path traced audio like four, maybe five years back? And they had a demo of like a cathedral and had different substances on the wall and it changed all the audio. You know, maybe it's those guys saying we did a lot of work before. Let's put something out. And so right now this is, you know, it could be, I I doubt it's, there's going to be RTX audio anytime soon, regardless of what Groove 3D might have uh, posted a few short weeks back. Uh, But, you know, maybe it's just using some of the stuff that they had done there and say, and that was developed, you know, pre-RTX to say, hey, like they, at least we've put some effort into it. Let's get something out there. And right now, as you're saying, the timing is right for this sort of sound cancellation noise. Well, I was going to say too, that, that this isn't this solution. NVIDIA is not the only one doing this. There are software solutions, which we'll mention here in a minute. There's uh, other companies like Qualcomm, for example, I think it was at their, their event, uh, maybe the middle of last year, they introduced a hardware solution that can do this for phone calls. And it's just baked into your Qualcomm chipset. And it's trying to basically, do the same thing. But it, it, when I demoed it in its state last year, it was nowhere near this good. Uh, and they were, ju- they were just using uh, software, I believe. I mean, it might've been accelerated to a certain extent, but it wasn't this like dedicated RT stuff. So this is better than I think, than I thought we'd, we'd get. Uh, but as I said, there is a software solution uh, that just recently launched and it's called crisp K R I S P. And uh, it's, it's being, uh, a lot of people are, are using it with Discord, and uh, it, it's the same basic theory, but it's not as good from the demos we've seen in terms of keeping your voice sounding normal when the background noise gets way too high. But I, I don't know if you guys, uh, any of you uh, played around with Crisp? Yeah, I tried it out, and when you're close to the mic and you're setting something off that's you know background noise, it doesn't suppress it. Uh, if it's too uh, fast an impulse, it doesn't really work very well either. If the attack is very, very quick, um, it doesn't catch it. Um, for low-level noise that's constant, it suppresses it very well. Uh, I've actually got it configured on my system right now, but there's nothing going on here. I mean, I can turn it on. Let's see. If I do this, if I do this, I have to actually, no, I'd have to switch inputs into the vmix i can't quite do that right now. Mm. But yeah, I tried it out in the headset, and yeah, it does work. Um 
and but it didn't catch everything that the um, the RTX stuff did. But yeah. it's free is it, to try. Uh, the same virtual input or output device. Yeah, it creates a virtual uh, mic, yeah, okay. and and also it actually will do the exact same thing from a input output perspective. Meaning that if there's you know the ten person Zoom call with annoying kids in the background, it's some you know somebody's got something going on. You can actually um, fix your incoming audio into your into your speakers or your your headset uh, to quiet down everybody else. So it does both, which is nice. Okay. And it didn't bump it didn't bump the CPU at all when I was just playing around with it, but you know. It's Interesting. integrated into Discord. So the other day I was doing an impromptu little Discord stream in our voice channel and I it, it was ena- I enabled it. And the thing is, because like, I have a loud furnace like eight feet away. When that was on it was acting like a, a noise gate. It was like a really aggressive noise gate. Because when I would mm-hmm. speak Suddenly, all the background noise was there, and when I would stop talking, it would start to gate it down. I know that Discord does some noise gate stuff already. You have to go in and kind of configure your audio the way you want it, but it it wasn't ideal. It was. It sounds like, and I still have to try out this RTX voice thing myself, because the, the streaming PC I put together does have an RTX 2060 in it, so uh, I have no excuse there, but that would be phenomenal. Like, Because everything I've tried to this point, noise gates... Um, different microphone patterns, the, the things that I've tried to do to isolate sound have not worked for the loudest noise or like when my son is going crazy right above my head and toys and blocks come crashing down and it sounds like an explosion. It'd be nice if that kind of stuff was not picked up on a podcast. Yeah, I mean... Or maybe it would be. Maybe that, that would be... It depends on the fine. tone of the show. Yeah, yeah right. that excitement. And uh, mm-hmm. Crisp is is free uh, in a limited sense. Like you, you can do it; it's 120 minutes per week. You can use it, and then uh, if you want to unlimited usage, you've got to pay. Start, it's a, and it's a subscription; it's a monthly thing. So uh, keep that in mind uh, as you're looking at this. Uh, whereas again, the RTX uh, voice stuff is is free if you've got the requisite card. Or assuming Nvidia doesn't patch this exploit. If, you can edit the installer file. <laughs> I did see somebody say, you know, we should make sure to back up this installer because if they do discover this workaround, they're going to definitely uh, remove it going forward. So go download it now. Keep it in a safe place. Uh, we'll see if they remotely nuke it or something. But uh, all right, uh, let's uh, jump back to uh, motherboard discussion. So uh, this is uh, some interesting information coming out of, uh, well, video cards uh, reported it. And uh, it's based on some leaks uh, from Gigabyte. Now, this is the looking forward to the Intel's next platform, the Z490 uh, chipset. We we know that uh, Rocket Lake, uh, or we don't well, we don't know, I guess, but it's highly assumed that Rocket Lake S, the desktop successor to Comet Lake S, is going to feature PCIe 4.0. That will, Intel will finally catch up there. Uh, but these new these new Comet Lake chips and the Z490 boards that are going to be coming out to support them. Apparently, or at least some boards are putting in the groundwork to support PCIe 4.0, and that's that's what this leak out of Gigabyte says, where they they've implemented the support. It's not going to work now because Intel's processors don't support them. But this is again additional confirmation that we will see PCIe 4.0 from Intel, and interesting that we can then expect that Rocket Lake will be pin compatible or, or socket compatible with uh, Z490, so that you could upgrade to a Rocket Lake chip down the road. Those are expected at the end of this year, early next year. 
uh, in that time frame. So, which is, you know, Intel is not great with uh, maintaining socket compatibility amongst gener- between generations. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, going forward there if, if that holds out. Because there's no other reason to implement this now if Comet Lake can't, can't use it. So what do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, well, with caveats, I think, is going to be the thing. Mm. Yeah, That's limited. sort of what it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, did I see Rocket League? Yeah, about League? damn time. Rocket Lake. You might have okay. said you might have said Rocket League. Rocket Lake. Either way, no, I think you yes. said Lake. And yes. and again, because uh, I mean, it makes sense that they would be compatible too, because Rocket Lake is not is going to be another fourteen nanometer derivative. So I think it's Willow Cove. Plus plus. plus, plus. Yeah, I don't know how many pluses they'd be up to at that point, but it's, <laughs> it's going to be a further refinement of this this uh, process, this architecture yeah. that Intel's uh, been stuck on. So once they hit ten pluses. That's the code that they're about to go ten now. Oh, they're okay. really, really yes. good at it now. Really good at it. So it'll be good to, if this is true. We will see PCIe four point on Intel. I know initially when they when they first fell behind AMD, there was some suggestion that they would even skip it, that they go right to PCIe five. But that looks like it's going to be too long to wait. Uh, so getting more adoption there, bringing just more. A bigger market would be great because we need faster storage. These new consoles that are becoming up have crazy fast storage. We don't want to be left behind on uh, PC ports of games that are optimized for <laughs> 10 gigabytes a second of transfers. Um, <laughs> so we'll see well, One column on that threw yeah. me a bit. Okay. Daisy chain plus shielded memory routing. Now, you mm-hmm. know, maybe I just have missed uh, some gigabyte branding at some point, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to parse that in my head. Yes, I don't know exactly what that is referring to. That's weird. Yeah. Daisy Chain Plus. I don't know, but, uh, you know, going back to uh, PC and storage, uh, Microsoft Flight Sim 2020, is that what it's called? Uh, yes. Where it just, you know it, it requires like 150 gigs plus a fast internet connection because apparently you're going to be streaming in so much visual data. Yeah. Well, we had that on our list for later in the show, but let's just talk about it now. Oh, sorry. Josh gave us yeah. a segue. So, Why, sure. Yeah, so, 50 megabits. Uh, ideally. Yes. Is the so, ideal. I, I like the ideal setup. Yeah. Right. So like, that's nuts. I understand uh, why, but right, right. Uh, so Microsoft, of course, this is this is just to recap briefly. This is Microsoft's new flight simulator coming out, uh, assumed to be later this year. It is a brand new engine. They've they've gone crazy with visual fidelity. They used Bing to Bing, Bing Maps to create uh, ultra realistic environments and all of the early visuals and, and previews. And there's also an insider beta right now. They all it all looks phenomenal. So we knew there was going to be some hits. Look, uh, Radeon Seven, Sebastian. Yeah. Finally, a use for that. Finally, there you go. For something. Right. Yep. And so this <laughs> not week just came... for folding anymore. <laughs> it's not really for that. Yeah. It, no, it's it's great for folding though. It just shoots through the workloads. It runs so cool. But, <clears throat> yeah. And it, you know, it's a lot quieter than some of the other cards too, because as you know, there was only ever the one reference design with the three axial fans. What? And, uh, yeah, I know. There weren't a lot of uh, aftermarket boards out there for some reason. They came in boxes with different third-party labels on them. 
Yeah. It's just deceptive. Yeah. If only if only <laughs> AMD had subsidized the price of all that ridiculously expensive mm. HBM2 memory, but that's oh, well. another. But I tell you yeah. what, that, that 16 gigs of HBM2 plays the Division 2 beautifully. You haven't you, played Division it, 2 unless you've played it on a Radeon 7. With with all the textures. Mm-hmm. Well, even then, actually, I don't you think can't throw enough okay. textures at it. I tried. I tried everything I could think of, and I think I finally found one game that I could play at just over eight gigabytes of frame Skyrim buffer with eight hundred and sixty-eight mods. Oh, I didn't try that. But oh, here's the problem, yeah. though. That we're getting down a rabbit hole here. But at some point, no frame buffer doesn't matter if your GPU can't keep up. Yeah, at the mm. settings you're trying to force it into this state, but. Like I did at one point play 8K Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I was downscaling it to fit my 4K monitor, but I was internally rendering it at 8K, and I was I was getting like two or three frames per second. So using like 10 or 11 gigs of frame buffer, though. Well, yeah, nice. anyway, we the the, the what we're talking about is the flight, flight simulator. simulator, the system yeah, flight simulator. They were released by Microsoft. <laughs> They've broken it down. If you're listening to the audio version, they've broken it down into the min spec, recommended spec, and ideal spec for both AMD and NVIDIA. And uh, as as we were talking about initially, we knew it was going to be heavy on like compute, you know, graphics and stuff just to keep it going. But because Microsoft is has all this, these terabytes of world visual data, building a real life, realistically laid out planet, they have to stream this stuff to you. So don't you don't only you don't only need a bunch of storage space. They're they're recommending 150 gigabytes across the board of free space. That's but you also spec. yeah. That's well yeah right. But you also need a cool. fast internet connection. So they say a minimum spec five megabits. Okay, uh, recommended twenty, ideal fifty, and that's just because when you're flying through these worlds and and seeing all this data load in, you've got to in order if you have all the settings maxed out. That's a lot of visual data, a lot of textures, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of, of information flowing in in real time as you play. Now, you can play without you can play without the internet connection. In fact, it'll it'll cache some stuff and it'll display and render at a certain level of detail. So if you don't have a fast enough connection or you don't have any connection at all, you'll still have some experience. But that really ultra realistic uh, stuff you see in the trailers, you're gonna need a heck of a connection. So. Uh, no, no Netflixing for the family while you're playing Flight Sim 2020. Unfortunately, well, so what if you get over like, Laramie? I can actually yell. I can see my house from here, and I will. That, yes. yes, and then yeah. it'll be literally footage of you saying that in the <laughs> game because they're just, they're just <laughs> streaming video twenty four seven everywhere. Hey, honey, live, live twenty yeah, minutes ago on the satellite. Yeah, that's me. I was outside mowing the lawn earlier today. You know, uh, Bing has been kicked around for years now, but this is their moment. This is what they've been waiting for. Bing Maps, this is their moment to shine. Uh, I don't know. Apple Maps or Bing Maps are the worst kicked around. Could be either one. Well, uh, it depends. Like, if you go back in time a few years, nothing was worse than Apple Maps, Mm -hmm. at least from a public perception. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it cost their arguably the best successor to Steve Jobs, his job. That's right. It's Scott Forstall. He, yep. he, oh, I mean, he, could have, he could have rolled over and apologized, but. but, but this is why he was a great replacement for Steve. Cause he, Steve wouldn't have apologized. No, he wouldn't have. So <laughs> he would have Scott been forced out just like Scott Forstall yep. was. 
And uh, that's why we have uh, $6,000 MacBooks that uh, continue to need to be replaced. This is my sh- MacBooks in the shop again for the third time. Oh, no. Do you think – now, I know that, Steve – let's just talk about this for a minute. Because I know that in the last few days – it's not on our list of topics, but, Josh, do you want to talk again? Is that what the body language means? <laughs> no. I just want to talk about Josh the wheels and the feet. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that. Oh, I will follow one. up. Good one. The wheels and the feet just came out. You can buy them now mm-hmm. for the yes. Mac Pro. But the, the wheels are six hundred and ninety nine dollars for a set of four wheels, and the feet. I didn't know this until I read this today on their website. The feet are two hundred ninety nine dollars, and the feet are the same ones that come with the Mac Pro. But if you were that person who configured your Mac Pro at checkout with the wheels, they didn't send the feet with the system. So you paid full price for the wheels, and then you didn't get the feet. So if you want the feet instead of the wheels, you pay another $300. I'm sorry. You're sounding like you maybe didn't expect that. That's your voice, your tone. Says, I know. This sounds weird. I'm the paying $6,000 for the damn system. Give me the feet. At least somewhere in the box, just give me the feet, even if I bought the wheels. <laughs> But I'm sure that's a, lot a of stuff. add in part at yeah. the cart. Yeah. Oh, and would you it's like a monitor way. stand with that? Well, yeah, the monitor stand is a thousand. They, they Josh, knew. What were you going they to knew. say? Uh, you know what? This is going to be like the first Microsoft Flight Sim that I've bought since '98. Is that one of them? That uh, sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bought that for my father, who was private pilot. And uh, yeah, it was way back in the day, and that was the last one I, I bought. But looking at this, it's just it 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 looks like it's going to be worth every penny. It is truly just a next generational product that you can't really pass up. I mean, even if you're not a big flight buff, it's you know, learn how to fly an airplane in that thing and fly around the world and see things that. I mean, we're stuck at home right now. If they could <laughs> yeah. release it now, they probably would and think that we're going to make a fortune. Yeah. Damn, it looks so good. Pilot friends have told me that this, uh, this thing is, is really good, really cool. Yeah, there's there's play. always been the ba- battle because uh, you've got X-Plane, which is another competing product. And, and Microsoft hasn't really updated since 2002, 2002 forever. maybe. Yeah. They, well, they they did update. They had a Steam edition come out, in, I think twenty twelve. Yeah, but Flight Simulator ten X, right? Oh, was it? Okay, that's right. There was, and then there was the Steam edition, which added in, like multiplayer and stuff. And then they had Microsoft Flight, which was in twenty twelve, maybe. And that was the really bare bones, like dumbed down game. It was more of like an arcadey style. It had no no oh, accurate yeah. flight models. It had a, uh, it, like, like only like five planes you could fly, and it was really uh, controversial, and they canned it pretty pretty quickly. So now they're coming back, but then you've got, now looking ahead to this, you've got X-Plane, you've got Prepared, which is the one that a lot of training, like airlines train their pilots on. So it's going to come down to, does it look cool? And that'll win a certain segment of the market, and then is it is it are the flight models accurate? Is it actually going to respond like an, an actual aircraft would? And then that'll win over the hardcore sim sim guys and uh, microsoft saying it's going to be very very accurate so we'll, we'll have to see there but uh another we have story... like 20 25 years of experience in flight sims to 
lean upon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, not, not so much recently. This is, uh, they, they kind of got out of the market Good, for 10 no, years. No, you know, I think the original Microsoft Flight Sim was in the, was in the 80s. Yeah, yeah it oh, definitely was in the 80s. It was yeah. an Apple, uh, yeah. a Mac yeah. application. Crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, another another game-related story is that uh, Valve's Proton project hit a new milestone uh, recently. Of course, Valve's, uh, Valve's Proton is the uh, the Steam Play integration that allows game Windows games to run on Linux. It's, like, it's a modified Wine uh, application or service. And uh, so if you have a... If you have Steam on, in Linux and you've got a compatible game, even if it was not built for Linux, it can it can run. And, and they've been constantly improving it over the last two years. It runs a lot of games really well, and they just hit the uh, 6,500 mark. So there's 6,500 games, uh, Windows games, that now work on Linux with little to no effort on the gamer's part, as TechSpot uh, phrased it here. So uh, very, uh, you know, very good progress there. I remember, in the, was it the Windows 8? era when Gabe freaked out over Microsoft and said they were going to become closed system. And then they, and they very eagerly began work on steam machines and steam OS. And of course that all kind of fizzled out. Uh, but instead they found a solution here where you can just, Hey, if we can, if we can do the work for our developers to make the games run on Linux, then we don't need to sell steam machines. We don't need steam OS or whatever. So you guys ever played around with this stuff? It works really well for the games. I, I don't I haven't tested it extensively, but it it, uh, it it you just click play and it plays. <laughs> I've used uh, Wine in the past. Wine worked pretty good when yeah, I was. Yeah, that's like, this is just a, a highly optimized game specific version of Wine. So now what I've what I've read with the the Proton stuff is that not everything really easily works out of the box. There are some like recipes that you have to go look up for like launch flags for the particular game. And that's kind of about it. So it's like most things in Linux, um, you know, your mileage may vary depending on how experienced a keyboard warrior you are. You don't go into Linux and pretend everything's always going to work by just double clicking on it. That's just not the case. Sure. And and there is, there's levels of uh, compatibility. Uh, so they, 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 it's, yeah, it's yes. called platinum. And if you have a game that's on the platinum list, it is, it is basically out of the box, a single click. And, and if it's not, there are communities that help yes. you figure out how to, optimize that but uh yeah, good no, news and, there and at work at a work we got ubuntu server you know 1806 and none of my double clicking works at all <laughs> the mouse support is is horrible really yeah huh i've never encountered that mm-hmm. seems to work for me it's all it's all command line <clears throat> Oh, I see what you mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. I misinterpreted it. The mouse it's typing support mouse. generally is fairly limited in COI. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I was just like, well, then run the GUI. I don't know. Wake up, Jim. I can't. I've got too many things in front of me. Uh, let's talk about NVIDIA uh, again real briefly here. Uh, a lot of companies, obviously, uh, with the coronavirus situation, they're they're having make, making gestures and, and statements uh, well, NVIDIA uh, came out and, and uh, Jensen Wan uh, gave a uh, or released a letter to his employees. Now, the letter's dated uh, April 14th, but I, I think it got published a couple days after that. And it was published on the um, – it's it was an official release. It was put on LinkedIn by the uh, an NVIDIA PR person. The purpose of the letter was reassuring his employees about the stay-at-home and work-from-home and all that. But in the letter – uh, he called out uh, specifically that they're not going to be firing anyone. 
And in fact, they're accelerating their races. I guess they were, they were coming up to the point of the year where they had their performance reviews. And so they're just going to go ahead. And even if you weren't scheduled for it yet, they're going to, if you were due a raise, you're going to get it now. Uh, so you can have more, more money in your pocket as we, you know, fight through this, uh, this shutdown. And, uh, and then he also talked about how they're, they're continuing to work. They're, they're, they've joined the COVID HPC consortium, uh, which is a bunch of companies, including AMD, who are all working together to uh, donate re- computer resources and, uh, and technologies to help uh, develop, uh, understand the virus, develop treatments, things like that. And, uh, and then he also he mentioned that he's uh, matching, personally matching, in addition to the company's match, charitable donations made by employees. So if you know a group of employees get together and donate to a San Francisco charity, it'll be tripled. Like the he'll match it out of pocket, and then the company will match it. Uh, so some some great you know good PR stuff uh, from Nvidia. Uh, you know J- Jensen's I- I've never met Jensen, um, and he 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 always has interesting press conferences. He's a very demanding person. He wants things to go a certain way, and sometimes it doesn't go that way, and it gets a little little awkward. But uh, he you know seems to be a good guy and having. Uh, Policies like this and statements like this uh, is, is good I, at this time. I, I, I met him a couple of times, and, and the first time I met him, uh, I was introduced by Brian Burke, and I shook his hand, and he's like, Josh, Josh, good to meet you. And, and I looked at him, and I said, you're, you're not as short as you seem. Nice. I've never been invited to another NVIDIA thing in my life. But, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. right. Wow. Yep. Yeah. You should take that personally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not as sure we're answering awkward questions in an F1 race. <laughs> yeah, well. All right. Uh, so let's finish up our news coverage this week. Uh, our our friends over at Legit Reviews, uh, Nathan uh, Kirsch over there. He they they just published uh, recently. I think it was Monday a gaming roundup uh, comparing the 3950X to the uh, 9900K. And uh, Jeremy Jeremy found this post for us and and uh, you know wrote the wrote up the news post linking to this coverage. Now, the interesting thing here is, is that this is a sponsored post. Uh, yes. Intel partnered with legit reviews and they do disclose that on the very first page at the very top, it says sponsored yep. by Intel. Uh, and they, they do disclose that. So you'll, you know, you have to keep that in mind, of course, but I will say that legit reviews and Nathan, these are, he, he's, he's legit. What's <laughs> up? Uh, or you could look at it as the absolute worst case scenario for testing AMD products. Absolutely. That's one yes. way. So what Which I'm saying still, is still, as you can see, are matching, mostly beating. Right. They and, did as good as they were allowed to, to be. Well, I, I th- what, I'm, what my point is, I think the data here is accurate. I think they tested these conditions and the test results are what the legit review team came up with. I don't think there's any manipulation no, of the data. The question yes. is, is the testing conditions, which was certainly dictated by Intel as part of the sponsorship, do they make any sense? They tested at 1080p. They tested well, 500 and 750 dollars processors at 1080p. That is what made me post it. Mm-hmm. Because as I'm looking through, it's like, okay, Intel sponsored review. I've seen this before, and it, it will also be a good argument as to how good Ryzen 9 is. And I start getting into it. And something strange has happened on Steam. The the user is logging in, have jumped by 25%. And and they're talking about users that haven't been on in quite a long while. Uh, There are Steam accounts. They just haven't really been active. But, you know, 
something's probably changed in the world that is convincing some of the old school gamers to fire up their old machines. And 87% of people playing Steam concurrently at the time that they checked were running at 1080p or lower resolutions. Right. So you've got a bunch of older systems getting fired up. And yeah. it, it's it's running an older monitor, it's running an older thing. And so if you're looking at it going, what is the number one thing that I could buy to upgrade my system that would actually matter? Well, mate, if you're running at 1080p TI or at 1080p, it is not a 2080 Ti. That that <laughs> is dumb, and now you've got to talk someone into buying a new monitor for you too. But if you look at just is my CPU and God only knows what CPUs these guys are running. There's probably Q sixty six hundreds. There's uh, some of the, the rebirthed Athlons, like they, they're, they're older process. Like what is the number one thing that you can do to upgrade? And, you know, looking at it, it's actually kind of interesting what you can pick up if you're willing to spend, you know, five to 700 bucks on a, on a CPU uh, and another 200 bucks on a motherboard. And, you know, depending another 200 bucks on a, uh, on memory. And now all of a sudden you've unlocked a whole bunch of stuff. You haven't had to upgrade your monitor. You can still use your old video card. And at 1080p, you're fine. You, you, there was another review that uh, I think Nick Tech put out. Uh, it was comparing like a 980 Ti to the 2060. And yeah, if you're on a 980, don't buy a 2060. You will be upset unless you're really, really in love with RTX. So it went from being a, okay, this is something we've seen before. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how they compare to there is an actual good argument for doing a review about what can you expect at, at 1080 or lower. But, uh, I mean, but not with this hardware though. Well, I mean, you take the GPU right out of the, out of the picture. If you're putting it in the top, right. right. That, that performance is never going to change, but how do the different architectures go? And I mean, if you're bright enough and at this point you're a little bored, you start looking, okay, well, what if I don't buy the flagship one? What if I put myself on a budget, you know, is, is a Ryzen seven actually a, going to stand up against a, an Intel of a similar price? And the answer is, um, hells yeah. Yeah. And yeah. quite often we'll beat it. So we can see the, uh, the results of how they tested here, these two platforms. And I was it Brett, I believe who said, uh, this would be like a, the worst case AMD uh, set system or setup uh, for benchmark. I was Im- and, I was implying that yes. And as you can see here, uh, this might be a little hard to read. This is the aggregate of all the the games they tested. Uh, even even though Intel does win in more games than they lose, AMD is very very close. AMD does win in some cases, and then when it is losing, like here at CS:GO, looking at the very left hand bar here, and Intel is winning but at 500 frames per second and the AMD solution is giving you what would that be 475. So it's a huge difference, right? Yeah. Now I know some CSGO players are kind of nuts, <laughs> but I don't know if that matters <laughs> at that, at that high, like, you know, you're not talking about being able to hit 60 or not on a, on a game. It's, it's these crazy high frame rates. So I get what Jeremy's saying about looking at this market and looking at, at, uh, Upgraders trying to, to see how they, you know, what, what can you do to get up to this uh, modern games, improve your performance or your, uh, your experience. Uh, but reviews like this, I, I just, I don't, I don't see 
looking at just those two parts together as a comparison as it was intended to be, it's just not not helpful. I don't I don't mm. believe anyone would spend put put a twenty eighty Ti and then one of these flagship processors in a box and play at ten eighty p. And even if you are, and it doesn't really matter because the differences. Well, exist. you're a lunatic. Yeah, the, well, the differences exist at the higher, like the, the most exaggerated differences are at frame rates that are so high that you won't notice. What well, I mean, if Josh? you put it on something older and limited the GPU, yeah, you, you know, it's not a CPU test then. Uh, you have yep. to take that keyboard apart. Oh, I, I, I didn't see that. I'm sorry, Josh. I didn't realize you had spilled. I thought you were just taking a bathroom break. No. Oh, is that your mechanical a one? Tragedy has occurred. Oh well. The um, one of the interesting parts of this was the the kinds of games that were actually uh the ones that washable. were at the top of the list that second link from the Steam DB was interesting. What was the the top ones that stuff had come out in 2013, 2015. Uh anyway, it was all fairly old stuff. Yeah, yeah. Global Offensive, Dota 2, uh, PUBG is relatively new. GTA 5, of course, Rainbow Six, Destiny 2, Ark. Yeah, some of the stuff, if you hover over them, you can see the release dates on them. <clears throat> well, oh, this wow. is a snapshot yeah. of the top 50 games being played simultaneously, yeah. which also lends credence to the old gamers finally can. Holy I crap, know. I've got yeah, but, time to game again. But some of them are playing at 1366 by 1024 <laughs> or yeah. 768. I did. I did. I just got out a really old PC and, and I just, I was posting this the other day. I actually played Need for Speed uh, 2 Hot Pursuit with the old steering wheel. It was fun. Oh my gosh. It was like, great. CSGO was beautiful hitting. Trinitron CRT. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I got one of my Trinitrons out there so and the, the frame, the frame rate was, oh, the response well, rate was so CRT. Good. That was like, I, I think I cranked it up to like 85 hertz. Zero. Yeah. Absolutely yep. zero lag. And yeah, yep. CSGO is getting historically high cons- uh, concurrent players. I just like, hope the old guys are just than- owning the younger kids. That's what I'll... That's- oh. <laughs> I was surprised to see uh, Bannerlord, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord, so high. Because uh, that game was in development for a long time. And it seems like... still got some problems. Uh, well, I, I, I got a chance to play it. I got the early access and it was pretty smooth considering it was better than I expected it to be based on the previous games and the development cycle, the way that seemed like it was going, but that's a lot of people who picked that game up. That's good. But, uh, all right, well, let's finish up to uh, this week. We've got a review. Oh, go ahead. Before the review, can I just, uh, rant about this LR piece for like 60 seconds? Okay. You were talking, Jim, you talked extensively about the fact that it doesn't make any sense to play games at this resolution with that level of equipment. And they're talking about computer build costs of around $3,000 for these Mm -hmm. high-end game systems put together. And of course, that doesn't make any sense. But then again, CPU benchmarking doesn't make any sense because there's, there's two applications for a CPU. There's compute, and then there's the CPU is in the background while you're pushing some big GPU along. And to try to find the bottleneck is the great exercise in reviewing this stuff. At one point in the past, I decided 
you know, younger me thought I can figure this out. And I bought all this crap and I put together 16 different systems and ran benchmarks every day after work and all day on my days off for what seemed like about four months. I put together this giant piece for the website back then. And in the end, there were so many inconsistencies with, with my results, which I was discovering as I was creating my charts, like, oh, crap, I don't even have that GPU anymore. I sold that one to pay for this one that I bought. And was the memory speed the same on these two systems? I don't remember anymore. And I, to the best of my knowledge, it was. But then you run into anytime you're there's multiple problems here. But one of them is anytime you have such a large undertaking, when you're putting this many games through testing. There could be driver issues. There could be a process running in the background that was when you're at 500 frames per second is what I'm trying to say. And another run is 480. Maybe that was a update running in the background. You don't realize what if Steam client was downloading something right when you were doing your run uh, and that accounted for like a point. Oh, one percent variance, but when you're at five or six or seven hundred frames per second, like they would in some were in some of these games, we're talking about Warframe at seven hundred frames per second, and humans fall flat or human fall flat. Something I'm not even familiar with that, but Intel was able to manage about seven hundred and thirty frames per second. Apparently, when the AMD system is only able to manage somewhere over five hundred, so it, it's ludicrous. But they did this for a reason. They they set the test parameters. They they basically provided the instructions on how to run the tests. And it it was run that way because it was a sponsored post. It wasn't like I get instructions too. I then throw them away and create my own tests and do my own clean install of the operating system. You know, it's it's you you always can just follow the book with a review and follow the reviewer's guide exactly, and all you're doing at that point is validating their internal testing. But if you don't use their configuration and you don't use their exact parameters or the games that they recommend running, and AMD can do this too. Like they they could pick the games that do absolutely the best on AMD hardware and then show chart after chart of their game beating an Intel system for whatever, you know, what at whatever resolution and whatever detail settings they've determined internally show them in the best light. But it it is difficult to it's difficult to justify doing this, but at the same time, how else are you supposed to show the variance? Because it doesn't matter if you're using a five hundred dollar card or a seven hundred dollar card or this twelve hundred dollar twenty eighty Ti. Once you start gaming at say fourteen forty p or higher, you are no longer CPU bound unless your CPU is underpowered enough that it's actually holding the GPU back, and that's that's a that's something that changes every generation and it also depends on the game because it's not like every single game is 100% GPU bound versus CPU bound for example. So, you know, Civilization 6 is not exactly the same mix between CPU and GPU as uh the newest 3D title. It's it's just not. So, it it's a it's a a frustratingly inconsistent thing to try to benchmark cpus for gaming performance anyway we end up doing it at 1080p not because everybody else does but because that's the only way to show variance and especially at lower settings if i do 1080 high i can show you variance between a 3950x and a 9900k 
But if I move the resolution up to 1440 Ultra, which is where I would personally be playing with that system with a 2080 to get a nice high smooth frame rate, especially at a high refresh monitor, there's no variance anymore. Unless the game happens to be really CPU bound and it can take advantage of those extra threads uh, from the the AMD part. So it's it's funny to it's almost laughable to see the frames per second numbers and to see the list of games chosen. And I know that they can justify it because they can say, well, these are the most played games on Steam. Well, of course they are, because they're either free or they've been out for so long that they're basically free. And they're also yeah. games that have a strong multiplayer component and are extremely popular to be played online together. And you can play Dota 2 on anything. So why are we benchmarking it? I, I Was that on the benchmark list? I know Counter-Strike. I mean, Counter-Strike will run on almost anything. Yet we're benchmarking it in 2020 on a 2080 Ti. Uh, yeah, Dota was there. Yeah, Dota was mm-hmm. definitely yeah. there. No, the, First, the benchmark wow. I mean, was just ridiculous. Like, there is no good argument for choosing your CPU based on how it is going to game with a top-end video card. And in a way, I would have been more interested to see this on, you know, older hardware that you would expect to see on a 1080p system. Ah, mm-hmm. but still interesting. Mm-hmm. A waste of time. Yeah. Well, I honestly, that, it's still an it, other it wasn't a waste, waste of, time of time because it was something that helps keep the site going. I, and absolutely, anybody who's in this and and well, they, they said they, that they, yeah. right, and, and he said that in his own comments, like people defending the yeah. article and saying, "Look, ad revenue is not where it need, where it used to be, and to keep a site like this going, we've got to do things like sponsored posts," <laughs> which is true. And people always dump on you for doing a sponsored post, and he was upfront about it. I'm just looking at Intel's parameters and what Intel told him to do to earn the payment that the site was able to receive to keep them going for doing the sponsored article is kind of ridiculous. And it would have been better for them to have maybe some more taxing games and some more realistic gaming scenarios to show the advantage, even if they're showing a deficit. How about hey, we think that our product is better because of the platform and because of this and because of that. But it's harder and harder for them to find those positives when AMD can say, actually, we have way more uh, PCIe lanes than you do. And we have faster PCI Express connectivity than you do. And we're cheaper per core than you are. And et cetera, et cetera. So right now, AMD seems to be leading in almost every conceivable category, except for... Intel can say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. When you push things up really, really, really high, we can show a slight difference and advantage for us in these older games. And that's not always the case. And I've seen myself as as at a 900K. Well, it, <laughs> there are absolutely cases where an Intel processor is faster in gaming, but you're probably not going to see them yes. unless you are running at 1080p. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's... You know, the the question of why, why you know, Intel should, it would have been more valuable had Intel done certain things in their requirements. But but this, this is, you know, basically you said the same thing, Sebastian, but th- this is it. This is where right now with Intel's current roadmap, this is where they can show an advantage. This is where the blue, these are the conditions and pretty much the only conditions in which the blue line goes higher than the red line. So that's why, of course, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to cherry pick and, and, and and manipulate things. And it's the same thing. I mean, this isn't surprising. Intel's been giving this kind of information to us in their press kits for a while now, uh, since they pretty much since they fell behind Ryzen. 
and and pointing to you know games saying that they're popular even though they are less demanding and looking at the frame rate advantage uh and then of course AMD when AMD shows off games and when AMD does deals like this I would presume uh they pick you know they they ask certain games to be highlighted that or certain use cases that support them like Cinebench Intel doesn't want us using Cinebench AMD always talks about Cinebench they wouldn't they yeah. they'd go nuts if we didn't use Cinebench so yeah, yeah. That's, especially that's, the single core which is just amazing it is. That's the yeah, crazy part. I mean, these yeah. massive multi-core chips that still kick ass in single core. It's it's incredible. Uh, so, and by the way, if you're going to compare apples to apples and say that this is their chip versus our chip, go with the same price point. Go with the 3900X versus the 9900K. What is the problem here? Well, the problem is in that list of components, when it shows that the Intel was the cheaper build by, what, one or $200, that would not have the been the case. The using the $750 CPU on the AMD system. Yes. So, yeah. It, or 738 or whatever it was at the time. So if there is no, I, I would struggle in a review myself to find the difference between the, an appreciable difference between the 3900X and the 3950X for gaming. They're so close and very few, if any games are going to take a significant advantage of the extra cores that the 3950X would provide. Because you're already at 12 cores, 24 threads with that 3900X. And you're within 100 or so megahertz of each other uh, anyway. So that that is a problem right there. Where if you're going to compare 3950X to an Intel part, it would at least need to be the, the 9900KS, but that part basically doesn't exist. That was That was announced, it was launched, it was briefly available, reviewers got it, I got one. It performs admirably, but you cannot currently buy one. And I've recently looked no, on the eBay. the old Kentucky Shroud version. Yeah, it's 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 a rare product. It it commands a pretty sizable price, even used. So uh, let me jump in. Need a new part. I, I missed this a while ago. I apologize, but we had a new Patreon uh, contribution come in about an hour ago. Uh, Greg R. Greg R became a new patron, so thank you, Greg. And I apologize I didn't catch that till just uh, just now. So, cheers, uh, man. Thank you very much. Oh, and actually, we had another one just in the last uh, minute come in. Uh, Wayne Prolisco, Prolisco. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but thank you, Wayne. He just became a new patron. So awesome. Well, the Two. entertainment value is extremely high tonight. Yeah, all sure. we have to do is dump on Intel and we get patrons. How does that work? I don't wow. know. Either that, or I just destroy a keyboard for the first time ever in my life. I've never poured a drink on a keyboard. Ever. Wow. My children have, my wife have. I and I got to say, you, so you just it, didn't get to it first. Yep, that's a what, guilt that stays with you. Actually, did, never leave. Did, it is the, the the liquid get into the camera? Because like now you're all blown out. Now your uh, color balance went haywire. Yeah, I don't up. know. I I, I <laughs> it had to do something with that. He, yeah, he's Josh, just having Josh a visual reaction. And you're talking yeah. about camera white balance. Come on. I'm, right. I'm dealing with the problems I can I can deal with in front of me. Uh, but what we need to do is send Josh over to the mechanical keyboard subreddit and let him spend all his money. And I'm sure we'll find something ah. there for him. Their custom keyboards are ridiculous. Don't go They're, there. Uh, it's, Unless uh, that's your thing. It's Never a do a keycap review. It's a dark path. Yeah. It, that's, it a, is. that's a very subtle transition, by the way. 
But yeah, let's uh, let's finish up. We've got a review of a new Cooler Master uh, AIO liquid cooler. Uh, this is from Kent. He got us the review of the Cooler Master Master Liquid ML two forty L V two RGB. Tell us, uh, tell us, what did Kent find here with this? Uh, this I think it was eighty dollar cooler, right? Oh yeah, it's really inexpensive. It's full list price is seventy nine ninety nine. It just launched, I think, today officially. At least today is when the review embargo was up. But it's an update. If you go searching for the ML240L, you're going to find it. And it's not going to make any sense because it's going to look different and the pricing will not be the same. And this is V2, version 2. You have to be careful with that right off the bat. But anyway, version 2, they set out to completely redesign the pump. That was probably the biggest change here. So they have a what they call their new generation. It's their third generation dual chamber pump. And there are some new fans at play here. A little bit more on that later. These are RGB fans. They also said that with the pump, and actually with everything, it's reinforced sealing for anti-leak prevention, as they're saying. I didn't know of any severe leak issues with Cooler Master designs in the past. This is an Asetek uh, design. But anyway, they're they're taking steps to make sure that it doesn't leak even longer apparently than before. I was looking at pictures of like the cross section of the the new pump assembly and the way that it works. And not to jump too far ahead, but apparently it is also very quiet. The pump is. So very interesting to see them come up with something new and better in a pump. And especially at this price point, put that kind of attention into something where their 120 millimeter model is going to retail for 69 and the 240 is only $10 more. But Getting a little bit further into this, Kent, he revamped his testing and he went ahead and retested everything and just comparing, I'll, I'll skip past mounting and that sort of thing because A, it doesn't make any sense on an audio podcast if you're listening and B, it's better to look at the pictures on the website anyway if you can. Uh, he always takes lots of high quality photos in his reviews, so definitely check out the review on the website. Um, he does go into... Thermal and noise testing, of course. Switch things up a little bit is using a Ryzen 7 3600X overclock. This is at 4.3 gigahertz on all cores. He did that at 1.4 volts. And above ambient temps, it was very close. It was, it was within a degree. And I always do plus minus one degree on all my testing because at any given time, uh, when you're dealing with whole numbers, like I'm getting a whole number readout for either the ambient temp or the CPU temp, it could be one or the other. So it's within a rounding error here between it and what had previously been his highest performing cooler that he has, which is a Be Quiet Dark Rock Pro 3. So on his Ryzen 7 3600X overclocked, one of them had a load of 55.3 above ambient, and that was the Dark Rock. And then the Cooler Master was right behind it, 0.7 degrees higher at 56. That was cooler than everything else he's tested recently. So not any other liquid coolers on here, but this is just, I think it's interesting to look at this compared to some of the medium and larger air coolers like he did, because that's the price point. And as he points out in the review, a lot of the competition for this 240 millimeter all-in-one is $100 or more. And the most recent Corsair we looked at was in the $120 range. And that's pretty standard for high-end dual radiator liquid coolers like the dual width radiator liquid coolers like this so what didn't 
uh, performed so well was overall noise output. And he said the the pump, and he he did a pump only uh, sound test, so it was thirty decibels, and that is very quiet. He said that even spinning along at its full speed of twenty five hundred RPM, I'm quoting here, never emitted more than thirty dB. And he said, I cannot praise the new sickle flow fans quite as highly as the new pump. So unfortunately, at load, these fans were at 44.5 dB with his noise meter. And that's quieter than, say, the stock cooler with his AMD CPU that he was testing. But you wouldn't want to use a stock cooler in an overclock situation like this anyway, because it would just be going 100% and not able to keep up. But very good temps, but unfortunately, at a cost. So if you were to look into this, it sounds like they have the basis of a great solution, a high-end solution, but it's priced very inexpensively. So if I were to buy one of these, I would have to budget in a couple of really quiet, but high air, like high pressure fans suitable for a radiator application like this. So at that point, if I care about noise, this is no longer an $80 cooler. It becomes like a $120 cooler, which is exactly where you are with things like the Corsair uh, IQ240 that we reviewed recently. So, and then as far as the RGB application of these, he has some photos in the review. You can see it's single RGB. Uh, like you can choose a color, but that's it. Like you can cycle through with the controller or use a available motherboard header, but it's the sort of old school RGB where it's like, it's either purple or it's green or it's red. So you don't have like the crazy, like eight or 16 zone ARGB lighting of, of one of those Corsairs. But I mean, if all you need is cooling performance at 79 bucks, it's tempting. And one of the things he talks about is just the, the clearance issues. And this is why I've sort of reluctantly gone back to using all in one liquid coolers on test beds here. When I'm swapping a lot of CPUs or memory or GPUs, it is so much more convenient to have an all in one because the pump assembly is out of the way of everything. It doesn't interfere with memory. It doesn't interfere with the GPU retention latch on the PCIe slot. And I mean, I, I went from using a big knock to a cooler and having to push a screwdriver down into the space between the back of my GPU and the edge of the heat sink because I could not get to the release on the top PCIe slot any other way to now I just, you know, swap components without even thinking about it because everything's out of the way. So there is a there is a huge convenience factor with something like this. And there are also cases where he's doing all open test bench. One of the areas too where all in one shine is if you have any kind of a thermally constrained enclosure that does allow for like a 240 millimeter rad like this. Maybe that goes along the top. Suddenly all of your warm air is just immediately exiting the top of the case and it's drawing warm air from the system up with it as it expels the CPU, like the warm CPU air as well. So it, it can be great for certain applications over a large air cooler or in instances where you just don't have the clearance for a really big one. But I don't know. I It's heartening for me to see Cooler Master pay this much attention to something like pump design for what will invariably be their cheapest 240 millimeter option. I can't see them releasing something under $79, but obviously you're going to want to bring quieter fans to the table if you care about noise. All right. Uh, so that is the 
Cooler Master Master Liquid ML240L V2. The V2 is important because otherwise you'll be you'll be buying uh, the old model. Uh, real quick here, so that Patreon, uh, Wayne, our, our new newest uh, Patreon uh, contributor, he, he had actually sent a message after his contribution. I just got that in my inbox here. Uh, now, this was about 10 minutes ago, so I think we were talking about the legit review stuff. And his message is only, Sebastian is right. Don't know specifically what, but we'll just blanket and just say, just in general, <laughs> Sebastian is right. It, it doesn't matter what he was talking about because it's correct. Yes. That is go. always correct. So yes. thank you, Unless Wayne, I'm I, completely wrong, I am almost always right. Right, right. But then I mean, you're still correct. right in your wrongness. It's totally rightly wrong. You're right. Yes. Right. So when yeah. you're right, so, you're right. And, and, and I'll you, be the first to admit right. that I'm wrong, and that will be right. In that fact, I can correct. think of no circumstance when I am not forthright and correct, even when I'm wrong. And in that way, you're right. Mm-hmm. It's integrity, right. people. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's get the picks of the week. Uh, Sebastian, did you have uh, one you wanted to throw in there before we start? Uh, no, I forgot about that. So Okay, you know. that's no, no problem. So I'll start off with mine. Now, this was something I thought everyone knew about, but then I realized it was 25 years ago, and there's like whole generations of enthusiasts, uh, computer enthusiasts who, who were not even born. Uh, but it's it's amazing. You know, they, they called Endgame the most ambitious crossover in history, uh, but they're wrong. It's actually the Microsoft Windows 95 video training guide featuring Friends oh, stars Jennifer Aniston me. and Matthew Perry. This was a video no. cassette that was oh, sent out God. to people who had pre-ordered a Windows 95 compatible system. Uh, in our case, it was a Dell, I believe. We had pre-ordered, you know, 95 was going to be the next big thing. They sent this videotape out a couple weeks before the system uh, shipped. And it was incredible. Now, I wasn't the biggest Friends fan at that point, but, I mean, I knew who these people were. And it was just crazy to see this very geeky little thing, uh, you know, merging into the tech realm. And it's it's hilarious. Um, this is a pretty – we'll link to this. It's on YouTube. It's a pretty good transfer of that VHS tape. And uh, it's, a, you know, it's an hour long or so. And it shows the, these two characters, these two actor, actors uh, meeting Microsoft reps and walking through – Windows 95 uh, system, because this was, you know, it's old fashioned to us now, but you're coming for most consumers. You were coming from Windows 3.1 or a Mac even at that point in time. And the the notion of a start button and a control panel and, and, you know, changing your desktop wallpaper and and all these these things that Windows introduced, it was it was new. And so you had to have some way to teach the masses how this all works. So so check that out if you haven't seen it. It's the uh, the Windows ninety five video guide uh, from uh, from Microsoft featuring Jennifer Aniston and Matthew Perry. So for the yeah. rest of you counselors are standing by on the lines to. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's awful. Don't get me wrong; it's awful, but it's like it's one of those like good awful things where you you know it's a, it's like a bad B movie you can watch and laugh at, uh, especially if you remember those times. Uh, oh, that's Office were... Space. That's not this commercial. Well, Office Space is legitimately good. This is. Bad, good. And By the way, I have to say, North Ranger in our Discord, Chandler is where Bing got its name. It all makes sense now. It does. It, it was the long con. Yeah. And everybody's useful. And and these, I mean, you got to remember too, 95. These were the two, these are two of the biggest stars in entertainment at that point. You know, that show was like the number one show on television. To see a, a big, it would be like, I don't know, who's popular today? I don't even know. Uh, God only knows. 
Well, it, it was like pick your pop star, whatever that is, and then have them do an AMD video or something. It would it just, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's okay. You're saying Lisa Sue isn't a pop star? Well, she's, uh, she's getting a lot of attention. Uh, she was just in a hey, couple, yeah, uh, apparently there, there's a new puppy in my house is visiting there? us. Oh. Oh, and so we need to hurry things along. Oh, okay. because I would like to actually meet this puppy before it leaves. <laughs> okay, let's go, Jer- <laughs> right. uh, Jeremy. Quickly, uh, your your uh, pick for us. Oh God, I had nothing. But speaking of old stuff, oh, we don't have a sponsor, so old shite. Uh, Steam is having a beanbag <laughs> sale. So if you haven't picked up uh, the original Baldur's Gate. Enhanced, the Icewind Dale Enhanced, Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced, uh, Planescape Enhanced, or some of the the ones that they made themselves, like uh, Siege of Dragonspear and that. They're dirt cheap right now. Uh, so if, if you don't have them via good old games or anything else, it, it's worth it because if you haven't played the Enhanced Editions, they do actually add a lot to the games and make it well worth playing. And besides, when was the last time you replayed Baldur's Gate? Good question. I've never played it, so maybe this is the time. All right, uh, Josh, your pick. Me. Okay. Uh, you know what? Uh, Josh Tech uh, PC Per Dirt Rally 2.0 uh, community is uh, we got three or four people joining in. We'd like more. It's uh, relatively inexpensive. Get the full version. Well, I mean, sixty bucks, but you know, uh, they've they've added to it significantly from when it was released last year. So if you haven't picked it up, if you really are, are getting cabin fever, you want to do some racing. It's a beautiful game. It's pretty accurate in terms of driving, and yeah, you you get to race against me and and others. So yes, buy it. Come join Josh Tech, please. All right, and uh, Brett, you've got the last pick for us. Yeah, I do. So a lot of people are stuck at home, uh, obviously are are discovering that their PC that they may be gaming on at 1440p may be suddenly under monitored. And what I mean by that is, is that when you're trying to like maybe have your 10 person Zoom call you, and you're trying to work at the same time, you need another display, but you don't want to get just a 1080p display, right? Because you're already at 1440p. So there's this, this thing doesn't have a um a stand but you're probably going to get a dual monitor stand with that or you can just go over to mono price and pick a stand up but this is a 2k display 2560 by 1440 quote unquote new open box refurbished but new as they say new open box for 249 dollars. we ordered one i'll let you know how it is when i get it in all right so that's the uh the hp z27n g2 so 27 ips uh, IPS yeah. display, uh, 2560 by 1440, 60 hertz. So you know, your productivity, right. but, and, uh, right. 250. So it's your second right. display. It's your second display. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Right. So, so you, well, you've got I, your I first know. display, get your second one. I'm a little hmm. concerned about the resolution, Brett, because how am I going to showcase the superiority of my Intel processor at 1440? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, oh, you can always force it to run at a lower resolution and just put no, up. But then the it'll look kind of blurry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Time's I, yeah. up. I've got to yeah. run. I'm really right. sorry. See you, Josh. That's all right. So uh, I love you, Josh. We're going to close it there. Yeah. Josh is going to go play with a puppy. Uh, if you're watching live, the rest of us are going to hang around for just a bit and answer your questions in the YouTube and discord chats. Uh, but uh, to everyone else, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us. We hope everyone continues to be safe, be well. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.